as I prepared this message a while back, I, I didn't know what to call it. And my wife did not appreciate the, the title, so I had to retitle it. I thought prayers of an old man was very appropriate because that's who I am. So, uh, but anyway, I want to share with you some thoughts about praying as a lifelong uh, journey of mine. Uh, to me, the Christian life is a journey. I mean, it's just simply a journey. Uh, my last church I pastored, we began calling it the Journey Church because that's what life was for us. Uh, it's always something going on. It's exciting. It's new. Something to see. And, and God was blessed in so many ways. I think my my prayer journey began when I was seven years of age. At that age, my brother by the name of Aubrey got killed. He and I were we lived on a plantation in central Louisiana. We rode horses every day, and he got killed riding a horse. Long story. Uh, but it really impacted my life. And, uh, and during that season of life, at seven years of age, I began to have an understanding of heaven and hell. I really did. And I began to have nightmares, the kinds of dreams about hell. And I understood it. And I knew I didn't want any part of it. And so I, at that early age, I, I prayed a very simple prayer. That was based upon John 3.16. That's so important to us. We know that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. I wanted that. Did not understand all the implication of it. Did not understand the theology involved. And all that was to come later with an understanding. But I began my journey by praying a simple prayer. God, I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. And fear was a driving force that bothered me for a long time. But let me tell you, Scripture tells us fear is the beginning of wisdom. It starts there, according to Scripture. And so, at seven years of age, I prayed that very simple prayer that began my prayer, uh, uh, my journey through life praying that marked my life. And I'm going to share with you my markers through life. A lot of times we look back at our lives, even today, and we see markers. This is when I got married. This is when I finished school. This is when my children were born. All those markers are there, and they highlight our life. And I've come to understand as I look back upon my life that my life is marked by prayer. And it's an awesome thing to be able to say these turning points, these major issues are based upon prayer in my life. And I want to just share that journey. Beginning at age 7, about 15 years of age, I began to pray something that every teenager struggles with. That, you know, life is tough for a teenager. Have you recognized that yet? It's even more so today than when I was reared on a farm in central Louisiana, on a plantation, and life was simple in a small town, and it was fun. And, but that, yet there was temptations. And I had to pray, Lord, help me to deal with the temptations because life is tough. And God blessed me through, with that prayer and, and kept me in, in a place that he wanted me to be for years to come. At about 20 years of age, I began to pray, God, who do you want me to marry? What a prayer. And God, out of that, blessed me 47 years ago with the right person. Oftentimes, we get married based upon looks or personality or convenience of the hour of the moment. But if, if your marriage is not based upon a word from God in prayer, you're going to have a tough time making it. It's hard. It can be made once marriage is made. But, it's, but when you know, you know, you know, God said, there's a difference. It takes you, because let me tell you, every marriage, no matter how long it's been, how short, is going to have some rough spots in it. 
If you haven't figured that out yet, you haven't been married long enough. Okay? It's going to come. It's just part of life. But part of that is bringing you together into a oneness in every way that God wants you to be. And, and so that prayer was sort of a wow prayer in my life. Because it, it was just a, an unbelievable blessing. God, who do you want me to marry? And God told me without question. And that was a wow moment more than 47 years ago in my life. And, um, and so, you know, once that takes place, then things begin to happen. Of course, it comes the birthing of your children. We had three or several miscarriages. But when God blessed us with children, I began to pray with each one for their salvation early in life. And that's an awesome prayer. And I learned that from a pastor who came and prayed with us one day as a child was born. He prayed for the salvation of our children to occur early in life. Wow. But I began to do some other things about my praying for our children. Uh, uh, early salvation. Every Sunday I would pray for their mate in marriage. Every Sunday. Why Sunday? I don't know. You know, there's so much to pray for in life, and you can't get it all down in one session. But every Sunday was my marker. I, every Sunday I would pray for each of my children and who were they, going, they were going to marry. That that day their spouse would be in church. That day that that, that person would be shaped and formed and molded to the image that, that they needed to be in order to marry my son, my daughter. And God blessed them. And whenever they would come to me and says, I want to get married, I had complete confidence. As pastor, uh, through the years, I have, would have a mom come to me oftentimes and say, it's a crisis, you know. My daughter wants to marry this old boy. You know, no guy is good enough for your daughter. I want you to understand that. Or no girl is good enough for your son. That's just the way life is. But when you spend a whole life for them praying for who they're going to marry, when they come, if you have confidence in God, you have confidence in that moment. And you send them off with your blessing at that moment. Big deal. When your children can go off with your blessing for who they're to marry. Sundays became a day in which we prayed for our children. Now we've got to do it 12 times over with the 12 grandchildren, you know, but we're praying that. And that's just part of who we are. But birthing of children were, was very important. In my late 20s, I, uh, my wife and I began to have a spiritual awakening in our life. We belong to a very good church in New Orleans. You know, there's a verse of scripture that says, where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. And if there's ever a sin city in our nation, it's a place called New Orleans, Louisiana. And we lived there in our early marriage and after I finished school and we were working. And as a, before I went to the ministry, and I, and I would deal with the issues in my heart and God began to work through a very good church that we were a part of and had great fellowship. And in that time, uh, I began to pray something very special. I began to come to grips with the Lordship of Jesus Christ. What is that all about? I understood salvation. I experienced that, but Lordship, because scripture talks about salvation and lordship as, as going hand in hand. It's all together. And I began to pray for Jesus to be the Lord of my life. And things began to happen as I got into the Word and as I shared the Word. And, and God began to lead me through some prayers. One of them was, God, make me a soul winner. Let me share Jesus with people so that their lives can be forever changed. And God made a soul winner out of me. You know, it's just a, a, a person that would share Jesus with people two or three times a day and people would get saved. And, and, and I don't understand what was happening, but I didn't understand, but God was used a prayer to 
allow me to become a soul winner, to share Christ with people. And that was a big deal in my life, and, and God did it in a very awesome kind of way. But a very special prayer that took place in my life in those late 20s was this. We were coming back from a Bible study in Dallas, driving back to, to New Orleans, and I looked over my wife, and we were between Bunky, Louisiana, and LeBeau. Now, nobody knows where that is, but I know exactly the spot between Bunky and LeBeau on Highway, uh, highway 1. And as we were on that highway, I looked over my wife, Nancy, and I said, uh, God wants me to be the spiritual leader of this family, and I'm committing to do that. It was a major thing for me. I was an introvert. I mean, introvert of introverts. I, I, if there was more than two people in a, in a gathering, I never said a word. Uh, I had a speech problem. When God called me into the ministry, I couldn't speak. And I, I said, problem, God, you've got a problem. And now uh, Moses needed an interpreter. I probably do too. And my daddy was a pastor, and he was, had a great personality. And, and he did awesome. He's a Billy Graham of central Louisiana. God just really used him in awesome ways. But I said, God, you know, God wants me to be a spiritual leader to my family. I told Nancy that, and, and she just sort of sat there in shock. But at the same time, knew that it was God's will and God's way. And that was major for me to become the spiritual leader of my family. And uh, guys struggled with that, but God made us to do that. And that was a major issue for me. And as I prayed that, God began to work in my life to be that person for our family. About 30 years of age, uh, I began to deal with the issue of, of a call to the ministry. And I said, Lord, you know, I don't know how this works, but I think you want me to preach. I can't talk. Nobody understands me. I have a speech impediment. Uh, I'm very bashful. I, I, I don't want to, you know, what can you do with me? But God called me to ministry, telling me that, reminding me in Scripture that I, our greatest weakness can become his greatest strength. And I accepted that call. My wife and I, 531 morning, I got her up. We knelt by a kitchen table. In Bellmead Subdivision, November 14th, November 15th, 1974. And we accepted God's call into the ministry together. You know, turning points, markers, big deal. We, we did that in prayer. Never thought about leaving the ministry. Never thought about leaving my wife. This is all, you know, this is something you do in prayer. It stays with you. And that's, that's how it works. God was good to us in so many ways. As, as we got older, God worked in a lot of ways. We passed different churches. Now, at about 40 years of age, I was at this place in my life. Lord, what do you want me to do? I was in a journey of, uh, I, believe it or not, I had black, cold black hair, long, slick back. I had a televangelist look uh, back that day. <laughs> Big deal. I was developing the lifestyle, preaching style of a televangelist, very, you know, showy and all that stuff. And, and uh, I knew where I was going. And, uh, and God dealt with my heart. I knew that's not what he wanted. Now I, I sort of down dress. I had blue jeans and boots. And this is the way I ended up my ministry and cut off with all the hair I can. And God took care of the blackness. Uh, <laughs> but, but what happened was at that point in time in my life, 
I had an opportunity to go to a city I always wanted to live in. We were pastoring in Shreveport. I could have gone to Baton Rouge and, 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 and pastor a good church there and, and, and wanted to. But God called me to a non-glamorous, small church in the ugliest part of the world that there is. <laughs> Southeast Houston, Texas. I mean, it's ugly. And so we, God called me and I knew that I had to sell out to what I wanted. And I, I made a commitment. That it was not going to be me when I stood to preach. But I was going to be, as much as I could, be humble and meek and let God speak to me. And when people walk out, they may not remember the name or the face, but they were going to remember the word because it came from God. And that was important to me. To turn from personal glory and glamour to one of nothing but Christ being exalted. Major prayer season of my life. About 50 years of age, I came to this point once again of dealing with surrender about an issue. There's always something to surrender in your journey. I don't care what age you are in life. There's something to talk to God about and surrender. Our church had done well. We had conflict and turmoil, but yet we had done well. God blessed us. We had we're in the church growth movement, which means growing a big church and all that stuff. But God began to deal with me about transforming our church from one of church growth, where numbers count, numbers matter, to one of being a church that's culturally relevant, life-transforming, filled with the Spirit. That would be totally, totally different. Yet, God did not call me to leave Southern Baptist life. I'm still a Southern Baptist, in case you don't know, can't tell. <laughs> but, I, you know, but that's where God called me. And, and that's where God told me to stay, and I will. But in the process of that, God began to lead me to transform my church. And I said, Lord, if I do this, this is going to be hard. That was a three-year journey of praying because this is a serious business. When you decide to plant a new church, when you decide to change a church as a leader, and, and I knew that in order to change our church from a, a traditional Southern Baptist kind of church with all that it has with it to one that is going to be really, really life-transforming, culturally relevant. It's going to be a major shock. And sure enough, it was. For three years, I struggled in prayer. I would go down to, you know, down to a beach house in Galveston and, and somebody had to suffer for the Lord and go to a place like that. And I volunteered. So I would go down to this beach house in Galveston for all of these years and I would spend two or three uh, uh, two or three times a year, I go down, just fall on my face before God, just meet God. And, and finally, after three years of praying through that, I says, okay, Lord, I'll do it. I would rather go back to Louisiana, get a small country church, mark off a spot, foam at the mouth, have a fit. I know how to do that. I know how to do that kind of preaching. But that's not what you wanted. And uh, so I, you know, I took on this challenge. In order to lead a church to change, I had to change first. And I began to, this journey of change that God wanted me to go through and began to lead our church through change. I thought it would take maybe five years or so. After 17 years, we finally arrived. It took that long to transform a church and uh, with a lot of pain. And God used that for a purpose and reason. And... Uh, <clears throat> As, as God worked with me 
there was so much going on. It affected my family, affected my kids, affected everything. But, but those times of praying, there was so much conflict happening in our church through those changing years. And I would get up in the morning and just spend those times with God and I would just cry. As All I had was to go to the Lord in prayer as David would to be encouraged. David encouraged himself in the Lord when he was at his darkest point of, of despair in his life. And I had, that went on with me for years and years. And I went through that and, and I would go to the Lord and, and it would deepen my life in so many ways and I would struggle. Would not understand why I was going through such pain and such heartache. But it was what God wanted me to go through. Did not understand later was going to be very important. I'll get to it in a moment. But at 60 years of age, as I was going through the changing of our church, our church went through several changes. One is just an outward change, you know, Sunday school, small groups in a home. It went from praise worship to contemporary style worship, which is... Uh, a lot of different, and just a lot of things that we did wrong. I went from shouting kind of preaching to just talking kind of preaching and, and, and narrative preaching. And, but I also began to change my theology. Because one of my prayers was, God, let me begin to read Scripture, not through the eyes of my tradition. Most of us read the Word of God, and we, are, we, we see it through colored glasses that we have. We see it through what our tradition teaches us to read it as and understand it as. I says, God, I want to read Scripture for what it really says. What it really says. And God began to deal with me about some of my theology that I, was, I learned in school. And I began to realize that, that all my theology was not, as it, was not true to the Word of God. It's according to the tradition that I was taught. And I said, I just really don't want to miss out on a blessing that you have for me in my life. And I began to change some of my theology. And one of the things that God began to deal with me was about, about receiving a gift that he wanted me to have. About 60 years of age, I began to deal with this issue of, uh, of God wanting me to have a very special gift for the day in which we were living. And I believe that that gift was, was going to be life-changing for our church and life-changing for us and, and many people around me. And so at 60 years of age, I began to pray. For God to give me the gift of healing. And this went on for a whole year. Because scripture tells us, seek the greater of the gifts. In, in First Corinthians. And I began to pray that. And I said, Lord, you know, I don't understand this. In my tradition, uh, there's not supposed to be any more miracle gifts. In case you don't know, Southern Baptists are only uh, major denomination worldwide that not believe in, in the miracle gifts still at work in the world today. Only denomination. But we're taught it very strongly. If you believe otherwise, it's heresy in our denomination. And I went down that road and I began to be, you know, blackballed in a lot of ways, which was okay. But God told me, and after a year's time, God led me into this understanding that he had given me the gift of healing. And we began to experience healing. I can remember sitting on the front row right before I got up one Sunday and I was going to announce to the church, and I did, that in two weeks, in two weeks, not next week, but two weeks, we're going to have a healing service. And uh, I thought I'd be fired. I gave them two weeks' time because that way I, <laughs> I could get out of town if I had to. 
And I thought I had one guy that really wanted to be prayed for. He had a had an open heart surgery. The vein was taken out of his leg, and the nerves did not connect it back. And and the, when nerves don't connect back, there's unbelievable pains. And most of those guys commit suicide because the pain is so great. And he had that condition, and he was ready to go off the deep end. He came to me, and I said, "Can you wait two weeks?" <laughs> And I told him, and he came to me in two and a half weeks. So we, we set this date, and he did, and he came. And, I, and when I announced it to everybody what we was going to do in two weeks, I didn't know if I would be there or not. But I knew that God, after one long year, had taught, brought me to this point in prayer. And that morning, I was sitting on the front row. I said, okay, I'm fixing to get up and fix to have a healing service. Lord, I don't know how to do this. All I've ever seen is Benny Hinn. And I don't, you know, that's not what I want. I don't have the white coat, and I don't want to, you know, spit on people like that. So, Lord, you know, I just don't know. Now, if you've been a Hen fan, you know, I'm not trying to discredit that. I just say, I just don't want to go there. So we sort of baptize this healing kind of stuff. And, uh, and I just, I got up, and I just did what James 5 says to do, obedience to Scripture. And I began this journey of learning and understanding healing. And that guy was healed that morning. And when I announced, about 40 people came down. Blew me away. And since then, we've had healing services every month in our service. Church, sometimes every week. It's just, and people, have been, people are alive today. Because I went through that prayer journey of meeting God and being obedient. Even against my tradition. And knew I was going to lose my friends in the ministry. And I did. But you know what? Those same people who left that church because of it, when they get sick, they come back to be prayed for in that church. (laughs) Because they know people are healed. And there's a power of God present at work making a difference. And so I received that gift of healing, and it changed my life and so many others in so many ways. But then about 65 years of age, a few years ago, I, I was on sabbatical. You know, that, that's such an important time for us. And, 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 and part of the reason I had a sabbatical, because through the years I, that we had all this turmoil going on transforming our church, I, I had a breakdown, and, and I had to get away, and I went away to our farm. Uh, for three months and, and uh, had a sabbatical and met God and, and God did healing in my heart and my life and, and, and went back to work after that. And, and on my second or third sabbatical, second sabbatical there, uh, I talked to the Lord and he told me when to retire. I was 65 years of age and, and I knew that two years from then, on June 1, 1960, uh, at 67 years of age, 2012, I was supposed to retire. And I, Nash and I, came to an understanding of that. She was a great wife. She knows that if God speaks to me, that's what we do. And so I, my family knew, the kids knew, nobody else knew that this was the day. And uh, bless their heart, they would all tell me, you're too young to retire. You're not ready to retire. And I, I felt it too. I said, Lord, you know, I don't know about this retiring stuff, I, I, but I know that you gave me this date. And so I got ready to retire, and it was getting close. And when I, once I announced it to the church, they just, you know, they knew it was coming sooner or later because I had brought Arbor's older brother on as to be the next pastor, and he's getting ready and prepared. And and, um, and as as that time was coming close, I I knew the date. And as I 
announced to the church today. They said, well, what are you going to do? I said, I don't know. I guess I do what all retired preachers do. I just go around preaching at different churches and, you know, have fun and, and, and just do a little of this or that. I guess that's what God wants me to do. But then I, be, I ran across a verse of Scripture that we read today. Uh, Philippians chapter 3, verse 13. Where Paul said, this one thing I do. I was teaching it to my small group Bible study. This one thing I do. And I said, Lord... I need this one thing. I've always had this one thing in my life to do, whether, whatever it was, one thing. And I began to pray about this one thing. And he says, this one thing I do, and then in that scripture he says in verse 13, he says, I forget the past, which means not allow the past to control you, and I grab a hold of that which you've attained me. I attain that which you have attained me for. That sounds like two things. Well, I really can't understand that this one thing is sort of like breathing. You inhale, you exhale. One thing, you breathe. Two elements to it. And this Paul was talking about, I'm going to let go. I won't, I won't allow my past to control me. At the same time, I'm going to acquire, obtain that for which you have me. And from that verse, God began to speak to my heart about he had something for me to do. And this happened this past February. And I began to deal with it. And God spoke to me about establishing a new ministry. I may be a retired pastor, but I'm to be a redirected minister. And I'm to start a, a uh, retirement, not a retirement, retreat center for ministers. And uh, we have this farm, this place that I've been to, Arbor's been to. God has done awesome work in our lives there. It's Holy Lands, my wife's place that she grew up. And it's our family property now. And I said, Lord, you know, if I'm going to do this, we have to have money to develop a, a retreat center. And within two months, God gave me almost a million dollars because I didn't have the money. But I do now. And February 1st, we start building. And we're going to build a retreat center that has individual cabins for the husband and wife to come. And they, uh, and they will go to a cabin, and, and it would be very nice, but it's going to be in the woods where you meet God in nature. We're going to tear down the old farmhouse on that spot and build a, a chapel. And I got a guy in my church back home who's going to build me a, a, a metal burning bush with a remote control. When people walk up to it, I'm going <laughs> to click it. And... <laughs> wow, I'm standing on holy ground. It's going to be fun. <laughs> How did I get from one thing to a retreat center? Needing a million dollars that God's already provided. I don't know. That's just how God works in prayer. And that's what prayer is about. Most of the time, our prayer is, God, I've got this dream. I've got the desire. Would you please bless it? I want to do this thing. Would you bless it? And then we have to pray hard and have to work hard. But you know it's even better when you say, God, let me join you where you are already at work. For 17 years, my wife and I went through literally hell in transforming a church. Unbelievable pain and heartache. I talked to pastor friends who never had that kind of conflict. And they said, you need to write a book. I said, I don't want to write a book. And so they asked me to write a book, but I, I don't want to write a book. But, but, but let me tell you, 
God took me through that. Maybe some of it was self-inflicted. So some pain is, you know that. We make wrong decisions. But I believe most of it was God directed so that one day we could be a redirected minister ministering to hurting ministers. Once a person enters a ministry within five years, only two out of five remain in the ministry. And only one in ten in ten years. Only one in ten actually retire from the ministry that ever began. We spend all this money, time, and resources to get people launched into the ministry and so many drop out along the way. And we want to be a ministry that would do something about that. Listen. At 65, I knew what God wanted me to do. I didn't understand where he was going. But at 67, God gave me a new vision for a redirected life. And, and part of what happens here, Psalms 30, that was read this morning. I want to highlight one verse of that. That's very much, I don't know where you are in your life. Psalms 30, verse 11 and 12. It says, you have turned from me my mourning into dancing. When you go through the heartache and pain of life and you struggle, God can turn it into something wonderful and joyful and glorious if you let him. And so it will be. It will be. There are some basic principles at work. I'm going to highlight this real quick. I know Arbor's getting antsy up here. Yeah. <laughs> Let me say a couple of basic things about, about my life as, in prayer all these years. Something you already know, but I just want to know. I'm, I'm just living proof of it. Number one, prayer changes your life. Is that simple? From the moment of salvation to all those key points along the way, prayer changes your life. <clears throat> Secondly, prayer is going to improve your life and others around you, especially your children. Prayer is going to improve it. Big deal. Most of us want an improved lifestyle, especially for our children. If you don't spend your time in prayer, it's not going to happen. From, from who they're going to marry, decisions in life, who you are, staying married, all those things. Prayer improves your life and others around you. But the third and most important principle is this. Proper prayer is based on Scripture. It's based on Scripture. Therefore, you must be a student of the Word of God. Oftentimes, we want to pray what's in our heart, what's our desire, what our need may be for the moment. That's good. But if you really want life-changing prayer, you connect Scripture to what you're speaking to God about. How did I get from this one thing Philippians 3.13, to a million-dollar retreat center that God is doing, I don't know, but I know that God did it. And when God does it, awesome things happen. 
when I prayed for the gift of healing, based upon, it was based upon 1 Corinthians 12, 31. I knew that verse all my life, but as a Southern Baptist, my tradition would not allow me to see what God wanted me to see in it. And I had to get out of that view of Scripture. And I had to pray. And it had to be for real. So it was a year-long journey. And it's a dramatic experience. I may get fired, but instead we got blessed. And you will be. Pray for you have to pray for the things that you need in life. James 1.5 says, if you, any of you like wisdom, pray. We had three teenagers in our home at one time. Okay? Three. Teenage years supposed to be just a nightmare years for parents. It wasn't for us. It, they were a joy and a blessing to us. They really were. And they should be. But you know what? I still had to get up every morning and pray every day for wisdom and parenting teenagers. If I need to do it then, I'm telling you what, it's really needed today. You have to pray. And not, not just teenage years, but, but pray for wisdom. That's what Scripture says. When you do what Scripture says, God will honor it. But pray, I had to pray for wisdom for, my, for parenting teenagers. Because I wasn't smart enough. They knew they were smarter than me. They would tell you. Teenagers are like that. Philippians 3.13, this phrase, one thing, blue has, has totally transformed my life. It's got me at a position. You see, I've always been having a need as pastor to raise money as a church. I never was good at it. My daddy was awesome at it as a pastor. Every time he got up and preached, he preached on, he mentioned tithing. He preached more people into hell for not tithing. It had nothing to do with tithing. You know, and, and all this stuff. You know, but he was really good at raising. And his churches were really good givers. I, I didn't go that route. That was not who God made me to be. But once I re- got into this calling that God wanted me to do, I was able to raise almost a million dollars in about two months. It was a God thing. But it's because of what Scripture said to do. It's a God thing. What Scripture said to do. You heard a scripture this morning, Proverbs 31. I don't know about you, but I I pray for my wife every day. What a blessing she is to me. God gave her to me. God told me who to marry. What a joy. Scripture should determine your prayer. I want to close with this prayer I wrote. It's written in my Bible. I've written many prayers for my wife, but listen to this. I'm going to close with this. Because I want you to see the connection between Scripture and praying. Thank you for my, Lord, thank you for my wife, Nancy. She truly is one filled with love, grace, and mercy. I pray you would give her of the fruit of her hands. Let her works praise her. May all her children rise up and call her blessed, for she is. May all her days be filled with strength and dignity. May my love and devotion for her continue to grow all the days of my life. Thank you for my wife. I love her. That prayer comes out of Scripture. You know what? God honors that. And that's how he wants us to pray. My question for you is, how is your prayer life? 
Or do you want it to be? What are you going to do about it? 